Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Yeah! Welcome back to the Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball, part of the Just Baseball Network. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we have so many promotions to talk about. So I'm really excited to discuss many pitchers who made their big league debut over the last week or so. We've touched on them briefly, maybe in some of the last couple episodes, but obviously wasn't going to get into it in the Brewers top 10 and some of the other previous episodes. So very excited to talk about all of the promotions we've seen across the game. And September is just so much fun for that reason. Whether you are an extremely competitive team like the Astros, who are looking to add somebody like like Hunter Brown when Justin Verlander goes down, his idol, ironically, which we'll get into, uh, and try to keep the momentum flowing and, and not really have a huge drop-off in your rotation by bringing up your top-performing pitching prospect. You know, that's an example of when we can see some of these September call-ups, but also the more common example of that is when you have teams that are struggling and really the season might be done for them and they want to get reps and uh, get a little bit of a look at some of their young talented prospects uh, when the season is pretty much you know gone and there's not much to play for anymore and we see that with some of the other teams across the league Uh, I hate to say that the Red Sox are in that department but they are and they call up Tristan Casas which I've been asking for on this podcast for a while now so very excited about that the Rangers they bring up Josh Young which in in itself there for Josh Young to return period this season even in AAA was I think you know a testament to the hard work to get back from a labrum injury then to be able to perform the way he has is another just impressive mark and then to play well enough and look good enough to get promoted to the big leagues I mean that just is the icing on the cake I want to talk a little bit about Corbin Carroll and you know why he is just 
so special. Uh, I really have been impressed with everything we've seen from him and every facet of his game. I might have a little bit of a spoiler on the Top 100 update just because I can't help myself as we continue to work towards publishing that. Again, I apologize for the delay there. Uh, I, I thought it would be ready to go over the last week, but with some of the back-end and front-end website updates that we're doing, I think you're really going to enjoy them because it's going to make it more navigable. You'll be able to search by name. You'll be able to search by position team. You'll be able to share the write-ups. You can scroll back up to the top by just clicking a button. There's so many things that are going to make this top 100 list much easier to work around. Ads won't be as disruptive. There's a lot that has gone into the development side of it uh, that I'm very excited about, uh, and it's just resulted in a little bit more of a delay on the web development side, but the top 100 list is all hammered out. I assure you that may touch, depending on where we are at on time, may touch on the Arizona Fall League. I don't want to talk too much about it because I think rosters are going to be released relatively soon, but we're starting to hear some rumblings and I think some players start to get named. I mentioned in the last podcast that Matt Mervis will be headed out there as well as Miguel Maya, Brendan Davis. I'm not sure if it's official, but you can take my word on that one. Um, also, Noelvi Marte of the Reds reportedly headed out there as well with some other interesting prospects. I believe Nick Gonzalez could be going out there. Henry Davis most likely going out there. A lot of really talented players. There should be a couple dozen top 100 guys potentially out at the Arizona Fall League or just slightly less than that. I want to start with the pitching debuts and I have an article on JustBaseball.com as well linked in the description here as is often the case where you can look more at the video and things that I uh, specifically dove into and that I'll talk about here. But if you want to kind of see some of the video that goes with it, uh, that's probably up on JustBaseball.com at this point and linked in the description of the podcast. So you can see what I'm talking about with some of these pitches. I love to use the GIFs and really show you uh, visually how these pitches work with the description. That's why I've really enjoyed writing these articles with the gifts now. So if you like the the pitcher breakdowns and things like that, I do it with swings as well. Definitely check out a lot of the prospect look-ins that I've been doing at JustBaseball.com. So I'll start with Hunter Brown because, I mean, this guy's really just been special this year. We've talked about him on the show uh, as somebody that has really emerged. I was not as high on him going into this year, I'll be honest. I thought he was more of, you know, a back end of the rotation starter. The command was a concern. Um, you know, there's not that much of a track record there. So there was a lot of, of red flags, uh, so to speak. And, you know, that that's the case. Some guys just make a big leap. And, and Brown has done just that. And he's in the right organization to do so, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing, too. If there's an organization that gets the most out of their guys that have great stuff, uh, maximizing the stuff, cleaning up the mechanics, I mean, the Astros have been pioneers in that, uh, dating back to you know what they've been able to do with some of their big league guys. We're seeing that kind of trickle down to the minor leagues. And I think Hunter Brown is a perfect example of that. Uh, we've talked about his minor league numbers where, I mean, he has really just dominated. And then in the first big league start for him, it was just really impressive stuff. I mean, he ends up going six innings, three hits, one walk, Five strikeouts, zero earned runs against the Texas Rangers, which they're not a great team. It's a solid offense. If you're a rookie and you are not hitting your spots or you're leaving the ball over the middle of the plate, they will make you pay. There's enough good hitters in that lineup. But Hunter Brown was spectacular in that outing. And what really impressed me with Brown was his ability to kind of go to all of his different pitches with success. The fastball was electric. He sat about 96 going up to 98, uh, can touch the upper 90s with that pitch, and it just has so much life. But what's most impressive to me is that he is pounding the strike zone with the fastball, and that wasn't the case before. I mean, he was 
33 for 41 on throwing strikes with the heater, uh, which is just everything you can ask for and sets the tone for the rest of his arsenal as a big power pitcher. The curveball was devastating with that kind of 12-6 just bite to it, really nasty pitch, mixed in a slider and a changeup as well a few times. And he was able to pick up strikeouts on multiple of his of his arsenal, right? Multiple pitches within his arsenal. He picked up a pair of strikeouts on the fastball, a pair of strikeouts on the curveball, and a strikeout on the slider. Also was able to get and out via the split finger changeup that he throws. The location was great. If you look at the heat maps of where he was spotting his pitches in this outing, four-seam fastball was either on the outer half from righties or just elevated enough with the life that he has on that pitch to you know just go right over the barrels uh, from lefties or also at times with the way it's able to kind of stay on a line, freezing some guys at the knees as well. He was able to do a little bit of everything there. But what I was most impressed with was his ability to work either in on the hands of lefties, up and in and tie them up, and or you know just work away from righties on the outer half of the plate. Both set up his secondary stuff quite well, especially the elevated fastball with the spiking, just diving curveball off of it, which he really only left or hung once or twice and did not really get burned on that. The slider location was really solid as well, either right on the outer half or diving off the plate as a pitcher's pitch that was either called ball or a pitch that looks like a strike and guys chased as it just dove right out of the strike zone. Change-ups as well. He threw three of them, but they looked pretty good. He flashed that pitch. All year long, Brown has been able to kind of go at you with all of those pitches, and we haven't seen him throw the change-up too much. It's kind of on brand for him to just throw it two or three times. He will just flash it a little bit. I'd like to see how often he uses it if there's a lineup with you know more lefties within it, but he still has that curveball that is able to just dive so much vertically, right, with that 12-6 type of break that he he's really able to use that pitch to get lefties out. And, and with the sharpness of his slider, which is in the low 90s, it's 91 to 93 miles an hour, he is more than comfortable back-legging you know, left-handed hitters with that. So he is fine with both of his breaking balls using those to get lefty. So that's why I'm not too worried about the changeup development. But if that changeup turns into a pitch that he's comfortable sprinkling in, maybe instead of 3 to 5% of the time, maybe more 8 to 10% of the time, now you have so many different ways that you can attack hitters, both lefty and righty, that they're going to be extremely uncomfortable. I mean, and the fastball is obviously well above average. The curveball looks like a plus pitch. The slider is right there too. And if there's a usable changeup, there's a lot of different ways he can get you, and I think we saw that in that outing. He's going to find more comfort, I think, as, as the year goes on with the changeup. But it was pretty surprising to see him rely on the curveball more than the slider because in the minor leagues this year, it's been pretty much an even split. But as we saw this this game, there was more lefties in that Rangers lineup, and he went to the curveball 18 of 23 times against left-handed batter. So you threw 23 curveballs, 18 of them were to left-handed batters, whereas the slider was more of an even split. Six to righties, six to lefties, and very fastball heavy to righties as well. He has a lot of confidence in that pitch and went to it plenty of times. The split finger changeup, all three that he threw were to lefties. So he has three different pitches that he's comfortable throwing to lefties. Obviously, the curveball is his favorite pitch to go to left-handed hitters with, but the slider comfortable going to both lefties and righties. That's a better pitch for him against right-handed hitters. So he's got the arsenal that's kind of perfect to supplement pretty even splits. And that's exactly what we've seen from him this season in AAA. Uh, you look at the season as a whole. Lefties with just an OPS of 542 
on the season against Hunter Brown. And if you look at righties, not much better. 524. So kind of backs that up with the Arsenal. And again, I was looking more at the Arsenal before I looked at the splits. And I was like, this guy's definitely going to have consistent splits. Not surprising. He has consistent splits. Always love when the hypothesis is backed up with the data. Usually makes you feel a little bit more confident in in what you're seeing here. The mechanics are very similar to Justin Verlander, which there's no ignoring that. Obviously, Verlander's made some tweaks since joining the Astros, which has kind of helped him unlock this next level uh, in the later stage of his career. But Hunter Brown has also studied the mechanics of Verlander, as he said, pretty much uh, most of his life. And uh, I think it's it's pretty perfect that he ends up in the same organization as Verlander and is maximizing his stuff, much like the future Hall of Famer is at this stage of his career. Hopefully he comes back off the IL soon. Seems like more of a precautionary move for Verlander and should be back soon but Hunter Brown looks really good I think he can play up quite well in the bullpen if that's where the Astros plan to use him in the postseason I doubt Brown is going to be you know taking starts away from the guys that have been shoving most of the year for them you never know how the Astros want to handle this but what's nice is if you have a guy that has a blow-up start in the postseason the Astros offense is good enough to get into a ball game and you know short leashes in the postseason you, you could be down three zip in the third inning you pull your starter, you're still very well in the game. You don't want to deplete the bullpen in one game of a series. Hunter Brown can piggyback there and just dominate and be able to give you three, four innings and keep you in there and bridge the gap to the bullpen. I think that's very possible. He can go higher effort still in three to four innings, knowing he's not going to have to try to be stretched out more. Stuff will probably tick up a little bit. I could see him thriving in that role in the postseason. But even in a one-inning spurt, fastball would be closer to upper 90s sitting, maybe closer to even triple digits. Slider could be 93, 94. And those two pitches alone, he's obviously going to mix a curveball in two because he loves that pitch. He could be a problem as a reliever as well. And we saw the Astros kind of use him a little bit in that role in AAA prior to calling him up, maybe to get him comfortable in a piggyback type of role. Another guy I'm really excited to talk about, I have probably talked about him enough already this year, but he just had another outing and I want to follow up on it against a really good team. Ken Waldachuk. Um, I know you, you might be sick of hearing me talk about Ken Waldachuk, especially if you're a Yankees fan, and I'm sorry. Uh, but this is not just because I have loved him uh, now for, for multiple years as a pitching prospect, but really because I think he's going to be an integral part of this, this A's rotation for the foreseeable future. And I think we're starting to see that. There are a few red flags that I want to hit on because, and red flags probably a strong word, but there's a few just little tweaks and things I want to hit on because I think this will separate him from being more of a number three to potentially even having a little bit more of that number two upside. Um, and it's a little bit of the fastball reliance or over-reliance. But the thing is, is it's hard to highlight it as over-reliance when he's able to get a ton of whiffs with it and the rest of his arsenal works so well off of it. But his first outing, he fought some command issues, was able to escape danger against the Washington Nationals, which is you know obviously not the best lineup in the world, but it's still a big league lineup. But then built off of that outing and looked even better against the Atlanta Braves, one of the hottest, if not the hottest team in baseball, you know, right now and through the second half and turned in a really good outing there. So looking at the arsenal or what the pitch usage was over those two starts combined, and then I'll talk a little bit about what he did better against a much better, uh, you know, Atlanta Braves team. Through those two starts so far, he's thrown the fastball 61% of the time. And, and just to compare to what he did in the minor leagues, it's basically the same. 
Through the minor leagues this season, he was around 59% usage of the fastball. He's funky, he's tough to pick up, and he uses the secondaries just enough for that fastball to really work for him. When he gets into trouble is when he's using the fastball too much and he's tugging it back down over the middle of the plate because he really thrives with elevating that fastball. It explodes from that you know high three-quarters release point. He hides the ball well. It flies out of his hand, high spin, high just ride to it, and it's a tough pitch in the mid-90s for guys to hit from either side of the plate. That's why I've always compared him to Trevor Rogers because the fastball changeup combination is really devastating, and Rogers is super reliant on the fastball. He went through some big-time rough patches this year because the fastball command was not there, and that's the big thing. If if the fastball command's not there, these guys are, are going to struggle, and so there's, there's a little bit of that susceptibility there, um, but you can almost say that about any pitcher, right? If the fastball command's not there, you're, you're going to struggle. It's just a little bit more uh, frustrating with some of these guys that you know, throw the fastball 60% of the time. If, if they're missing with it, they're going to live or die by it, and it's going to be more center cut heaters that end up getting hit out of the yard. Uh, that's been a bit of the case with Waldachuk, right? That's how he did get burned in that outing against the Braves, even though he was great otherwise, only three earned runs in five and a third's innings. The three earned runs came on two homers. It was three hits, two of them were homers. But two strikeouts, no walks. That's the big thing. And he was mostly all around the strike zone, hitting his spots for the most part. I think really the, the two pitches that he didn't hit his spots with were the fastballs that missed middle-middle, and they left the yard. No big deal. He limited the damage and was able to you know kind of keep guys off the base paths. And that's the big key for Waldachuk, right, is he's going to give up some homers. He's just going to because of the fastball usage. But if he's not walking guys, it's okay, right? We just saw Trevor Rogers last night against a good Phillies lineup. He gave up three earned runs, but he turned in a solid outing, punched out eight, and you know, limited the damage because he kept guys off the base paths, right? If if you want to leave yourself semi-exposed to the long ball by relying on the fastball, but you know you're going to be able to pound the zone, get a ton of whiffs, get a lot of weak contact, and set up your secondary stuff, you better keep guys off the base paths. Waldachuk did a much better job of that in his last outing. Mixed in the slider a little bit, mixed in the changeup. The slider for Waldachuk is further along than, than Trevor Rogers was at this point of his career. So that is also an important point. It is worth noting, though, that Waldachuk and Rogers are the same age, and that's why Trevor Rogers is just a very, very talented pitcher, even despite the struggles. But the similarities are there, and there's a lot to like with Waldachuk. I'm excited to see how he builds off of that outing against the Braves, but to have the confidence in his stuff, and that's what's been most impressive for me, the zone confidence for him. He has no fear of attacking the zone, even against one of baseball's better lineups with the Braves and going right after these guys, and it worked for him, right? It worked for him. He didn't walk anybody. He did get beat twice, but kept guys off the base paths and did not allow you know, really anything to build up on him, didn't allow himself to get into jams like the other outing because it's easier to get out of jams when you got to go get you know, Yadiel Hernandez with two men on. It's tougher to get out of jams when you got to get Michael Harris out with two men on or Austin Riley out with two men on. You could see a tangible adjustment in his plan and more confidence in attacking the zone. Waldachuk, I think, is going to continue doing what he's doing, and it's been really solid uh, so far for him out of the gate, and I expect him to be a really solid rotation piece for Oakland for the foreseeable future or wherever else that team is. I should just say the A's for now. Another former Yankee who had a really impressive debut was Hayden Wesneski. And Wesneski, 
he actually made one of the more unique big league debuts you're going to see because instead of just starting, he ends up in the piggyback role, but he went five innings. So uh, as a piggyback guy, he ends up going five innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, eight Ks. Yes, it's the Cincinnati Reds, but given that Wisniewski's had some blow-up outings this year in AAA, especially the first one after the trade for Scott Efros, which sent you know him over to the Cubs in, in exchange for the reliever that uh, goes over to the Yankees, this was a really important outing for Wisniewski to, to really remind everybody what, what he's capable of. I think the Cubs knew that, uh, but it, it's really important here because they need to figure out exactly what they've got here. Is this a potential rotation piece for them next year? I mean, the Cubs system, it's much improved in all facets, and it's definitely improved in the pitching department given that they were so desperate. If you think about it, if you date back to right before they picked Jordan Wicks, I mean, there's probably no no system in baseball that needed pitching more than the Cubs. Jordan Wicks has ended up being a great pick. They've had guys like DJ Hurz emerge. They've had guys like Javier Assad even turn into a guy that's pitched his way into a big league uh, debut and has made a couple starts now at the big league level. Probably not a long-term rotation piece, more of a swingman, uh, quadruple-A guy you fill in from time to time to, to make spot starts but keep you in the ball game double header type guy but still you can't have enough of those types of players and it's nice to see the Cubs develop somebody like that but they need to figure out what they've got rotation wise moving forward and is Wesneski a guy that could potentially be in your rotation next year well if he has a few more starts like this you got to give him every opportunity even with some of the inconsistency in AAA he has been really good overall over the last couple years in the minor leagues and the stuff has just continued to get better what I did see, though, was a lot of slider usage. And as a starter, he ends up going five innings, so it worked. But as a starter, can you throw the slider 43% of the time? Traditional thinking would probably say no. But the thing is, is he has a pair of fastballs he'll get, go at you with, a sinker and a four-seamer. And in this outing, he went to those a combined 25 times. So it was a sinker 17 times, four-seamer eight times. So 26 sliders thrown and then 25 variations of the fastball, right? A little bit of the sinker, a little bit of the four-seamer. We also saw him throw a cutter, which you could also say is a variation of the fastball. So if you add that in there, which he threw six times, he's technically throwing the fastball, just three different versions of it, more than the slider. I know the cutter ends up having a similar type of action, but his is more of that diving kind of gyro bite to it is slightly different than than his slider he separates them pretty well and then he mixes in a change up also what I also really liked about Wisniewski is even though he threw the slider a lot he picked up a strikeout on almost all of his pitches he picked up four strikeouts on the slider two strikeouts on the four seamer one strikeout on the cutter and a strikeout on the change up despite only throwing it three times so he's got an assortment of pitches he can throw at you but how this outing may be related to what we've seen from him over the course of the year I think is interesting because over the course of the entire season so far this year we really haven't seen him throw the slider more than the fastball if anything he'd been throwing the fastball a lot more Four-seamer about 34% of the time, sinker another 12% of the time. That's at 46% clip right there, whereas the slider has been used at a 24% clip and the cutter at a 19% clip, and then rounding it out is the changeup at a 10% mark. So you were looking at Wisniewski using the slider a little bit less and more reliance on the four-seamer, which... It's a solid fastball. It's a, it's an average or above average fastball that he commands well, but it got hit decently. Guys are going to hit fastballs pretty well. 828 OPS against it. It's just not 
good enough for him to throw that frequently. So on the big stage against big league hitters, he went to his best pitch more, which is his slider. And opponents in the minor leagues this year had a 370 OPS against his slider. He can back leg lefties. He can go to righties with it. It's a frisbee. It's nasty. Then he also has the the cutter that he'll manipulate it to. And that pitch has been hit around a little bit more. So he didn't use it nearly as much in this outing as he has used it this season at 19%, using it just a handful of times in this outing. So I think we saw him tweak his pitch usage, and that helped a lot. The challenge is, can you get away with showing your best pitch this frequently? I think in today's game, the best pitch for some of these pitchers is so good. And the answer is yes, but he also still has to mix in his other stuff more uh, and also has to be able to command the slider really well. The thing is, is he has commanded the slider really well through the course of the season and through the course of that first outing. So it's going to be interesting to follow. I don't have a strong opinion on Wisniewski one way or another. What I will say is he has the floor of a nasty multi-inning reliever because, again, if the stuff ticks up a little bit in one or two innings, you're going to see that fastball up to 96 more so, and you're going to see that slider maybe more 82-83 with crazy sharp bite to it. He could be a nasty reliever. His floor is there, and that's why I love this trade for the Cubs. Yeah, it stinks that you, you trade Efros, but Wesneski could just – basically plug in and be similar or better than that, even though Afros was was fantastic for them. And then also you have hope that he can be a, a starting pitcher here. 24 years old, I think he's going to get every opportunity to be a starter. Needs to figure out exactly how to use the arsenal to his advantage. I think using the two fastballs, the, the, the four-seamer and the sinker a bit more, more emphasis on the sinker. I, I think that will be huge for him. Get those ground balls with the sinker, whereas the slider will work well off of it, opposite action. Then buzz the four-seamer up at the top of the zone as more of that put-away pitch or a setup pitch instead of a a bread-and-butter, you know, he's not Ken Waldachuk. The fastball's not good enough to be able to set the tone with that pitch. It's more of that change it up and be able to buzz guys elevated with it after using some of the secondary stuff as more of that afterthought pitch, I think is the better way to do it. For Wesneski, he profiles as a back end of the rotation type of starter that will give you flashes of number three type of stuff, right? And, and give you some starts that most back end of the rotation type of guys can't give you. Uh, or could be, I, I hate the term swingman because I usually use that as a guy that's fringy rotation you know, talent, but he he's definitely better than that. But with the way his stuff is, he could be a very good swing man. The way kind of Christian Javier was before, it really just turning into a, one of the better starters in baseball. Uh, but kind of that role as well, uh, where he can give you quality starts. But you know, if your rotation is filled out two years from now, he could thrive in that role as well. Uh, Louis Varland of the Twins is another guy that made his debut yesterday, and I was very pumped to see him called up because I've been pushing for him to potentially get promoted this season because I just love what we've seen from Varland, and obviously I'm not going to be as in tune with the 40-man situation of every single team as maybe some that cover the specific team or fans of the specific team are, and when I tweeted something about Louis Varland getting promoted, you know, a lot of Twins fans said, hey, you know, I don't think he's going to this year because uh, it just seems like it's more likely to happen next year, given their roster situation. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what, that's right. But 
The Twins ended up having some pitching injuries, you know, and, and ended up very thin in that regard. And Varlin just continued to look really good in the upper minors. And uh, they're trying to fight for a division right now in the AL Central. And hey, let's be real. Nobody really wants to win that division between the Guardians, the Twins and the White Sox. It seems like they're all trying to lose it. And even though I, I did agree that it seemed very unlikely uh, as, as you looked at kind of the roster situation and the 40 man situation that we see a Louis Varlin this year, uh, the Twins, they're trying to win, and they promote him, and I really like what we saw from him in that first outing against, I know it's a struggling Yankees lineup, but it's still a very talented Yankees lineup, and Varlin was solid. Traditional three-pitch mix, fastball, slider, changeup, and he threw 80 pitches. It didn't stretch him out crazy, but 55 pitches, or excuse me, 55 strikes, 25 balls of those 80 pitches. Uh, fastball was really solid. He, he located it well. He pounded the zone, but also had some good life to it, averaged about 94 miles an hour. The slider worked pretty well off of that. I would honestly say the slider was not as sharp as it normally is, uh, but the fact that he was still able to, you know, get outs at the big league level in his debut with the, with the slider not totally being there is a testament to, to what he's been able to do as a pitcher this year and how he's been able to develop the command overall. You look at what he's done this year in the minor leagues before making that debut, 146 punch outs, 42 walks. The command is impressive in those 126 and a thirds innings. And AAA, it was more of the same, 105 innings, 119 Ks, 39 walks. He is susceptible to the long ball a little bit. Um, you know, his fastball sometimes is, is a bit flat on him, but for the most part has had enough life and he's been able to hit his spots enough where it's been a solid pitch for him. I think the changeup has lagged behind so far this season, but looked okay in that big league outing so far. But the slider has been his best pitch so far this season uh, through the minor leagues. I mean, nobody has really been able to touch it between double and triple. A 168, 194, 279 slash line against that pitch. I mean, it's a 473 OPS with a 31% strikeout rate on his slider, which he has thrown 32% of the time. The fastball has been good enough because of that ability to locate and that kind of low vertical attack angle that he releases from. It's a, it's a short arm throw that I think allows it to have a little bit more perceived riding action than it really does because, again, it does kind of flatten out on him from time to time. But because of that low release point, and he's able to, to, to spin it pretty well still, uh, it'll sneak by you, uh, especially if you're worried about the slider. And the feel for the changeup is the big third pitch, right? That's going to be the big question. When he's around the zone with it, it's an above average changeup. It, it definitely is able to get plenty of whiffs in the zone it's able to miss barrels and he makes it look like his fastball out of the hand from that short arm release point uh, but at the same time he has struggled at times to to locate it and at times it's just easier to shut down for hitters when it just starts too low in the zone or is more of a non-competitive pitch but overall you look at what he did in that first outing five and a thirds innings three hits two earned runs one of them came on an Aaron Judge home run so I don't even count that because Aaron Judge is an alien and he did strike out Aaron Judge uh, one walk seven Ks can't ask for a much better debut from Louis Varland and probably earned himself another look as I mean that's just what he has been doing all year in the minor leagues you're, you're gonna see him give up some home runs he gave up 16 so far this season in his 25 starts but he's going to scatter those homers he's going to keep guys off the base paths so only an 8% walk rate this year. He's going to rack up strikeouts at a pretty good clip, and he's going to just be around in the zone. And that's another back end of the rotation type of starter that I think you can count on. And at 24 years old, he's earned himself an opportunity to continue to try to keep the Twins in the hunt. So I'm interested to see what they do with him here. Uh, but Varland is a big league arm here, a nice find, local kid from the Minnesota area, 
15th round pick out of Concordia University in St. Paul. So Minnesota guy through and through, which I always love those kinds of stories and now could maybe help them as they make their playoff push. Another good debut here from another pretty talented starting pitcher who's had a great year in the upper minors. One last pitching debut before I get to the hitters that I wanted to talk about is Ryan Nelson of the D-backs. We talked about him early in the season, but I didn't mention him too much lately because he had been struggling lately in AAA. Uh, But there's a little bit more than what meets the eye with Ryan Nelson. I want to talk first about what he did in that debut, and then I'll add some context as to you know why the numbers, I don't want to say misleading because numbers are still your numbers, but why some of the numbers that we saw from him at AAA may not totally be indicative of what we can expect from him long-term as a big leaguer. I, I, in fact, think his numbers will improve as a big leaguer in some ways. I don't know if he's totally ready to you know, dominate uh, the way he did in that first outing at the big league level uh, consistently because there's some questions with the secondary stuff, but I do think that he can be better than he had been uh, overall numbers-wise in AAA, and I'll explain that. But first, let's just talk about what his first outing at the big league level looked like because You couldn't ask for much more from Ryan Nelson against the Padres. Seven innings, no runs, four hits, no walks, seven strikeouts. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that. Uh, Nelson just pounded the zone with his fastball and just dominated with his fastball. I talk about Ken Waldachuk and his reliance on the heater. Ryan Nelson has even more of a reliance on the heater. You'll get the course of the season, 62% fastball usage, uh, which is obviously well up there. And in that outing, even more fastball usage. He threw 87 pitches. He threw 58 fastballs. That is a 67% clip. Also mixed in a curveball, a slider, and a changeup. Those three secondary pitches all have a chance to be solid offerings, but his command of them has been a bit sporadic this season. The fastball, though, is really good, and it is the exact shape and everything you want in a riding fastball at the top of the zone, that big swing and miss pitch that we always talk about with high induced vertical break, 19 inches of induced vertical break, sometimes 20 inches of induced vertical break, which is just going to be that type of pitch that floats over barrels that seems to stay on a clothesline uh, and doesn't drop at all, uh, which is just so hard to hit. That's what makes guys, even that throw 90-92, so good. That's what makes Nestor Cortez so good and, and Ranger Suarez and some of these other pitchers that are able to ride the, the induced vertical break even in the low 90s to big whiff numbers on their heater. When you look at Ryan Nelson, he sits more 95 to 97 in that first start. So with the induced vertical break, which really, you know, not only makes it just elevate well, it also increases the perceived velocity. It was looking more like upper 90s and also working off of a pair of breaking balls that flash plus, especially when he's locating it. He's able to also freeze a lot of hitters with the fastball at the knees because most people would assume a fastball that starts at the knees is going to naturally drop below the knees, but it stays on a line because of that induced vertical break that he has. So able to pick up a lot of cold strikes, especially for hitters that may have been looking for a breaking ball or or wary of the breaking ball. And you threw 58 fastballs, 
six whiffs, which isn't as much as you'd think, but with the 32 swings at him, no one really squared him up and 11 called strikes. So that's also an important number there. Called strike whiff rate of 29% is right around what you normally want to look for. Uh, mixing in the curveball and the slider 12 and 10 times respectively, but you know also was still able to get weak contact and three whiffs with the slider. No whiffs on the curveball was a surprise, but still was able to pick up seven called strikes with the 12 that he threw. So locating the curveball well was encouraging. And uh, I guess just really pitching backwards at times, using that pitch to to pick up early strikes and then going with the fastball uh, really can get in the heads of hitters. And, and he did a good job of doing that. So the reason why I think Ryan Nelson is going to be better than he was in, in a lot of ways in AAA, first of all, that PCL, I can't emphasize enough how much the PCL is just an absolute launch pad. And any player will tell you that. And a lot of the environments that... Ryan Nelson was pitching in were, were basically course Field light. And I know that Arizona is uh, no graveyard. It's quite the hitter's park as well in terms of the way that the ball flies, but it's still not nearly uh, as bad as the PCL stadiums and even some of the worst uh, pitcher's parks, or I should say most hitter-friendly parks in baseball at the major league level. So the big thing with Nelson is, is he loves to use that elevated heater. He loves to use that high-spin heater. And uh, when you do that, as I mentioned with Waldachuk, uh, it was a lesser version of this, you're going to be susceptible to the long ball. And that's exactly what the case was for Nelson, 25 homers in 26 starts, 25 homers in 136 innings. I mean, that's brutal. But at the same point, a guy who loves to elevate his fastball and pitches in a place where a lot, he's a fly ball pitcher, a fly ball pitcher who pitches in a place where the ball flies ridiculously just far and carries and carries and carries probably going to be more susceptible to the long ball and to unfortunate outcomes that probably won't happen and most of the big league environments nearly as frequently. I mean, that's just exactly what the case was for Nelson. So I expect a lot of those fly balls to, to stay in the yard uh, compared to, to what he was dealing with in the minor leagues. I mean, a 15% home run to fly ball rate is, is just really high. And he, he dealt with it in double A too. Uh, it was also a very hitter-friendly environment, but his double-A numbers were still really solid. I don't expect the home run to fly ball rate to, to be in that 15 to 18% at the big league level. I think you can expect it to be even in the more 10 to 12%, maybe 13% even. If that's the case, his numbers are going to be much, much, much better, even with an incremental adjustment there. He's still always going to be susceptible to the home run, especially in Arizona, but the stuff is too good. The fastball command continues to get better. I want to see him use the breaking balls more. I know he loves the fastball and has way more confidence in the fastball. But you located the curveball well last start, Ryan, right? Like, let's see you continue to, to use that pitch a bit more. Uh, but the changeup, it's been far off for him. That's a distant fourth pitch. Struggles with the feel for it. But he has the chance to have an above average to plus fastball, two above average breaking balls and at least a change up that you hope can get good enough to where he mixes it in a little bit. I would love to see that change up develop because it would tunnel so well off of his riding fastball, but so can the curveball if he can continue to develop and sharpen that pitch just a little bit more, but the command of it was there in that first start and the slider has been his most reliable secondary pitch so far this season. I'm going to talk about a couple quick hitters real quick that I'm excited to Really just see get their big league debut. Tristan Casas being one of them. I've been wanting to see him get called up for a minute here. And finally, he gets the opportunity with the Boston Red Sox. And Casas not off to the best start ever through his first four games. Don't really care. Uh, I think he's going to be just fine. And uh, I think if you've listened to this podcast, you know how confident I am in him. And 
He did launch his first homer, which was nice to see. Uh, but so far, I believe he is just 2 for 15 uh, to start things off. I think he's going to settle in just fine. He's a great two-strike hitter. He's a patient hitter. The power is ridiculous. I'm glad he's getting this opportunity now to get his feet wet. He's such a procedural guy and, and such a thoughtful hitter in a good way, not an overthinking way, but when he is in the cage, when he is working on things, he is so in tune with himself. And being able to have that big league taste here for what might be 20, 25 games, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, and be able to go into the offseason and assess even just from that smaller sample size of what you saw, because I don't know if you can really uh, be able to explain uh, what it's like to face big league pitching until you actually do it. It's it's a really good opportunity for him to carry that into the offseason, build off of that, and break camp with the Red Sox next year, and I think be one of the favorites for AL Rookie of the Year next season. Casas will settle in, still just 22 years old, was on a great stretch in AAA, and this is really valuable opportunity for him to get ABs and parlay that into a great offseason and get going next year. Josh Young. I'm very eager to see how he looks. He got off to the most ridiculous start imaginable in AAA, and even at the complex, too, hitting nine home runs through his first 30 games between the complex and AAA. And then he had a home run almost every other day to start the AAA stint after coming off the IL from that left labrum surgery in his shoulder. Uh, but he slowed down a little bit. He still is 22 games in triple before getting the bump up. 274, 317, 526 slash line. It's great. Hit a friendly environment there as well, uh, which is part of the reason why the ball flew so much, but he was just barreling baseballs, hitting them hard. I think he got a little aggressive though. You know, and, and that was something that really improved with Josh Young last year after being a very swing-happy hitter through the first season and a half of his professional career because he is such a good hitter all around and finds the barrel so well. He found himself in swing mode a lot after just tearing up college as well at Texas Tech, and he had to tone that down a little bit. 2021, tapped into more power, also walked a lot more. We saw him walk at an 11.5% clip when he got the bump up to AAA, which was the highest that we had seen by a decent margin in the minor leagues. Then he gets back here to AAA, and, and he has not walked much at all through his first 101 plate appearances, just five walks or something like that, four or five walks. So I think it was him a little bit just trying to make up for lost time. He also was hitting so well right out of the gate. It's like, I want to swing more. I want to swing more. The ball's flying. I look good. I feel good. I want to hit my way to the big leagues. And he was aggressive. He needs to be a guy that walks 10% of the time. I don't want to say he needs to be. If he wants to reach his ceiling... Walking 10% of the time will really help him because it takes a little bit of pressure off the hit tool, which I still think he's going to be a 270 hitter, 280 hitter. But if you are not walking at a 10% clip, your on-base percentage is still going to be relatively low at that range, and you're going to have to produce a lot of power. I mean, you look at like Adolis Garcia, who's lower in the average department, but he doesn't walk much. It just really hampers your overall offensive production, and obviously WRC Plus does not like you if you are not walking, and I know that's not the end-all be-all, but there's a reason why walks are weighted the way they are. They're important, especially when you're a good hitter and you have power. Uh, that's something that's really going to just amplify the ceiling and take some of the pressure off of that hit tool still. Even though I like the hit tool, it's a comfortable 55 Uh I would like to see more walks to just hedge some of the pressure on the bat or some of the pressure on the power because he's not a 35 home run guy. He's more of a 20 to 25 home run guy. Might give you 30 if he's really hitting uh, one year, but I think there's just way more value and way more 
uh, pressure alleviated from the hit tool and the power if he's going to walk more. And, and that's the one thing to watch there with Young. And I think that's something that he, he should be focused on at the big league level and probably will be. For the final segment here, I want to talk a little bit about some cards that might be worth taking a flyer on on eBay of some prospect cards or young rookie cards at the big league level that I think are are just priced too well to not take a chance on. Maybe not my favorite blue chip prospects here that, you know, are, are the can't miss, you know, Tristan Casas type. I mean, I'll, I'll give you some of those uh, today. Not as much of those, but some low cost, very intriguing prospects that I think could be a good purchase. One of them on eBay right now that I, I can't believe the price has not gone up after the trade and just what he has done this year. Christian Encarnacion Strand. Uh, he was with the Twins, traded over in the Tyler Malley trade, uh, you know, to over to the Reds. And Encarnacion Strand just has not stopped hitting. We talked about him in the in the Red System update that we did uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's been ridiculous to see what he's done this year. 30 home runs between high A and double A. 20 of those did come in high A, but then five came with Minnesota uh, in double, and then he gets sent over to Cincinnati and just has continued to do what he's done and hit another five there. What's impressed me the most has been the bat-to-ball skills um, because he has crazy power. We've seen him hit... I think now eight home runs over 420 feet, something like that. And and just monster shots really has exciting plus plus raw power, extremely aggressive hitter. And that's the one concern I have, but I would way rather have an aggressive hitter who makes a lot of contact than, you know, somebody that you're worried about, maybe has a good approach, but you're worried about how much contact he can make. If he can get himself to just not swing as much because he is, he is chasing a ridiculous amount He'll be in good shape, but at the same time, he, he's hitting the ball so well. He's hitting for such a good average that it's kind of hard to to justify telling him to swing less at this point, right? You look at the numbers over the course of the year uh, across the two levels, he's hitting 305, 375, 98. His Bowman Chrome Auto right now on, on eBay, ungraded. Most recent one just sold for $26. Uh, another one sold for $26, and then another one sold for $25. I mean, you can get... What is a guy that is already proving to be able to mash at the double A level and, and could have a path to the big leagues by next year could be the, the future at first base for the Reds. Uh, realistically, after Joey Votto moves on, he easily could be the option at first. I don't really know too many guys that I trust. Alex McGarry has made some noise. I, I don't trust him nearly as much as I trust Encarnacion Strand. You can imagine how much the power is going to play up. In Cincinnati as well. I mean, he uses the whole field really well. Again, the contact rates are really good for the kind of power that he has. 82, 83% zone contact for the exit velos that he's producing is ridiculous. On top of that, you can get a card here at $26 for a guy that realistically could be in the big leagues next year and has 35 plus home run upside if it all works out with the Cincinnati Reds in that ballpark. Obviously, a lot has to still happen for him to get there, but uh, with what he's done this year, uh, continued to to keep the strikeout rate in check despite the high chase rates which is also really encouraging he was striking out 26 percent of the time in double or in high a excuse me cuts that to 23 percent of the time in double a the walk rate is extremely low but he's hitting 300 so it's really hard to to knock that obviously it'll get more difficult to get away with the swing rate being over 50% the way it is when you get to higher levels, better pitchers in AAA and in the big leagues will expose that a little bit. But if all he needs, if the missing part offensively is a more patient approach, 
uh, I'm willing to, to get in on, on his card at this price, $25. I'm continuing to scoop up his Bowman Chrome autos right now. Uh, and the Reds' future looks bright. This is a team that's going to be pretty fun in a couple years. So I'm, I'm a big fan of what he is doing so far this season and the price point of his card on eBay. Another card that I am very interested in, but acknowledge the risk here, but this is a, a fun risk-reward uh, prospect and card to invest in, given that the price point is low enough to, to get to just get fun and, and give it a shot because the upside is so immense. Grant McRae, uh, he is in the Giants organization. He was a... I believe it was a third-round pick in 2019, if I remember correctly. A high school guy who was just a phenomenal athlete, played multiple sports through high school, and uh, just has very intriguing tools. Uh, there's definitely some some swing and miss risk there. And as a 2019 draftee, this is really his his second real look in professional baseball. He played at the rookie level in 2019 and then missed a lot of 2021 with injuries. So we only really saw him play 40 games there. So going into this year, it only played 90 games and only 24 of them professionally and only 24 of them were above the complex slash rookie level. So that, that's an important note here. He is so fast, but also really packs a punch. I tweeted a video out of, of a home run that he hit uh, that just really got off the bat. There's above average to plus power potential here. I think more close to the above average range, but he flies. He's already swept 39 bags this season. Really impressive bat speed for a, a guy of, of his size right now. He's got a good frame. He's got some long levers, and that's why he's able to generate that bat speed. He has room to fill out. He's 6'2", 190. I see at least 10 to 15 pounds of muscle that he could easily add there. Probably won't impede his his speed too much. Still 21 years old, but in terms of development, probably more like a 20-year-old. So I still look at him as a very young player in his development. The numbers in low way were spectacular. Yes, there was some swing and miss, but the guy slashed 291, 383, 525 with 35 stolen bases and 21 homers. He had the bump up to, to high A, and it's been a bit of a struggle for him. He's striking out a lot, uh, and he's also been able to walk a little bit. He's been able to steal some bags and spray the ball over and, and has left the yard in the, his first 10 games. Definitely an acclimation process, but he's four for four on bags as well. I'm admitting that this is a big risk, um, and I would just pick up one or one or two of his cards if you you know just want to dabble somewhere else. And uh, His signature is super cool, first of all, and his cards are literally going for 10 bucks. I mean, I've seen multiple of his Bowman Chrome autos sell for $9.95, $10, you know, some for $16. If you wait long enough, I think a refractor just sold for $17. If you're looking at the market from for Grant McRae, you might be able to, you know, snag a card for pretty cheap. He still needs to iron out some lower half inconsistency. Starts with a pretty a pretty upright stance, but he's so athletic and so twitchy that he generates Really impressive bat speed. I think the bat-to-ball skills are better than it would maybe suggest in the strikeout range. And again, if you're paying $10 for this card with a guy that has you know, immense upside as a center fielder with crazy speed and, and power that is actually intriguing and almost defies his frame and a cool signature, I'm a, I'm a big fan of just what this purchase is on eBay for 10 bucks. His Bowman Chrome Auto out of 50 sold for, and it was a PSA 9, sold for $180. If he turns into the player that he is capable of, I admit it's, he's a very volatile profile, but has already shown some success in low A. $10 purchase, I don't know if you're going to find much more upside in a $10 card than what Grant McRae can offer you right now as, as a 
2019 draftee with just really exciting upside in that giant system. We'll see how he finishes out the rest of the year in high A. It's obviously been a a slow start for him, uh, but but still uh, a lot to like there. And I could see him being one that, you know, a lot of people gravitate towards quickly as you see the sweet left-handed swing, the explosive athleticism and the projectability that he brings along with the just exciting aspects to his game in center and on the bases. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, so much to talk about with all of these call-ups. We'll continue to do that, uh, you know, as September rolls on here and as we get closer to the Fall League, you know, being announced. And, of course, then the Top 100 next week where we will be going through all of those, you know, rankings and breaking all of that down. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could take a second to rate, uh, leave a rating and a review to help us grow it, that would be awesome. Share it with your friends. Uh, that would be great. Go check out the articles at JustBaseball.com. As always, thank you for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. Look forward to talking prospects with you very soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.